Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Adrian Ramsey, and I'm your host on Talk Design. I started this podcast because I wanted to share the journey of design that I've had and that many others have had, and I find it inspirational talking to people globally about what makes design tick and what makes design create a better world for others. My journey has taken me from clothing globally, women's swimwear, performance sportswear, mountaineering, yachting, all these kind of genres where each place I would learn more and more about different specifics and how clothing can support those. Also, I've worked in innovation as a systematic innovation trainer and worked with the aerospace industry as well as the marketing industry and the design industry. And all my years of design Still my favorite is the built structure and interiors. In years of travel and discovery, I constantly look at what the emotions are that are created by the built space. I consider myself a student of design for my whole life and will go on that way. Some of the things that I do to support this is my podcast, and then workshops and masterclasses where I teach people about trends and design thinking and tours where I take people on tour with me and we go and discover different points of architecture or interior design globally. I always think that when you're passionate about something, one of the things that you should do is is you should share it. And so creating the podcast was my way of sharing my enthusiasm and the enthusiasm of others and their passions around design with you. I hope you really enjoy it. And I ask you, would you please drop us a line? Tell us what you think. Tell us what got you excited. It's so inspiring when we get messages from our listeners that tell us about the things that shifted in their life because of who they listen to. And it gives me the inspiration to dig deeper and find more people that I can bring to your ears so that you live a better design life. My guest on Talk Design today is John Skomsky. Now, John is a comes from a financial planning background, and he is also a podcaster. He has Think, Live, Repeat, which is his podcast. Now, that's how I discovered John, and it was with a particular episode that I discovered him on with Coach Reed, and we'll talk a little bit about that one as we go as well. But he has a really intriguing list of guests that he has on his show. And I keep finding these new things that he's offering that that people are talking about. With it, one of his key items is entrepreneurship and intrapreneurship and what the difference is there. And we're going to dig into that a little bit, as well as I want to make some parallels between, say, creative industries like architecture and music, which he's big into as well, and then the finance industry, because his background comes from finance. And with that, he's a speaker, as well as a podcaster, as well as a mentor to people, and has his own firm in the financial industry. So he's an entrepreneur, but also sees all this huge value for entrepreneurs. So John, welcome to Talk Design. Adrian, it's an honor to be here, man. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. And as I say, I discovered you through Coach Reed's stuff. And was like, whoa, and I don't even know how you came up in the feed. You know, I don't know how that stuff happens. But suddenly your face was grinning out of there and his was grinning out of there. And I went, ah, that's interesting. And listen to the little bit that you had going on. And I'm like, I better go and check that one out. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. The algorithm decides who gets to meet who and when and all that. So I guess it's a nod to the... To the algorithm. To the algorithm. But, uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, Coach Reed Maltby is just an incredible guy. His book, you know, The Spartan Mindset, 
in fact, it was actually kind of funny you mentioned him. So we we recorded the episode, or I read his book, recorded the episode. We've kept up. And then recently, my team had a team building day. And so I actually had them that, you know, we suggest the book and whatever, we'll discuss it. So that was the book for this time around. And Coach Reed actually came on for a quick AMA before his golf tournament early on a Friday morning. And the team got to talk with him and, and you know, those power words and peril words. It was a, it was just a great experience. So yeah, love, love Coach Reed. He's a great guy. And how did your team react to that? It's funny. Some initially struggled with the idea of the book because it was such a heavy sports background and some of them mm-hmm. weren't. So it was an interesting aspect to it because they're like, well, you know, if I were into sports or if my kids weren't growing out of the house or whatever, I could see more application. But as we went through it and talked about it and did some exercises with the peril versus power words and and started thinking through the various words we use, like but, and mm-hmm. uh, that was a killer one. <laughs> People saw, saw the broader application. And, and then when we actually talked to the coach, Reed, there's some things he's doing to actually have broader application beyond sports, which I think is brilliant. And I think it's just going to only take off further for him. So yeah, it was, it was good. Well, you think of something like NLP, and uh, you know ne- neuro linguistic programming a lot of all that and a lot of coaching comes just directly from the original sports coaching and breaking it down and how it happened and what happened with it i found a couple of things in his in the podcast obviously but the power words versus peril words was a huge one for me because i've worked on removing the word but from my spoken language i reckon maybe seven or eight years, and I still haven't got rid of it. And when I'm doing written stuff or, or having stuff written for me, I ask it to remove, I ask them to remove but from everything. I, I don't want the word. I only want and. And if mm. not and, nothing. No howevers. Because however is just another but, you know. And so yeah. I think it's really powerful when you actually start to look at your mindset and your mindfulness, because you're doing that when you're looking to remove something like a word like that from your vocabulary. And then, you know, what do you replace a, a peril word with with for a power word? And then his whole thing around, you know, the 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 coach that stands and yells and berates and all the rest. I I I'm going to say I do or I don't believe. I'm not sure. I don't believe in in the thing as constructive criticism. I believe there is a way of giving feedback Mm -hmm. that empowers people to take things forward. But criticism is criticism no matter which way it comes. Hmm. That's true. So constructive. mm, In a coaching-type environment, it's how do you identify, make people aware and then how do you empower them to take an action to go forward with that and keep them accountable to the action yeah well helping them like you said number one helping them create a an awareness around something they may come to you with an awareness of this issue or they may just know a side effect and haven't even discovered. So it's a, so it's a discovery process. And then it's a, it continues to be a discovery process and, and coach Reed and other scientists and neurologists talk about this concept of rather than saying, here's parenting, even here's (laughs) here's (laughs) what you do rather than saying, how would you respond? Tell me more about that. Let's, let's, you know, face with three different opportunities here, which one would you take and why and help them arrive at a conclusion, be yeah. a soundboard rather than giving them the answer. The, the, and I don't know what the percentage is, but I would imagine it's incredibly high of, of adoption and follow through of a change versus, Oh, here's your problem. Here's your solution. Pay me, yeah. you know, my, yeah. my $10,000 and, you know, have yeah. a good life. And, and off you so, go. Yeah. Off a hundred percent. I totally agree with that. Like it's, and, and, Going, we, I want to talk about this entrepreneur, entrepreneur thing. My wife is actually a business coach and she often says to me, stop being a teller. Mm. And I'm like, what? And she's like, you, you're telling them what to do, not letting them find what they should do. 
And I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, okay. So how would I do that? Yeah. <laughs> she'll say, Tell me. She'll say, yeah, <laughs> just like you said, you know, this is the difference in, in asking people where they want to arrive to, even where you know where you want to get them to. So you might be guiding them towards that versus telling them how to get there. And, you know, being, being a teller is a bit more like being a dictator. It's very easy. You do this, you do this. And I think this would be better done this way. That doesn't empower them to take their own steps later yeah. when they're doing the next thing. Mm. Yep, yep. And at the end of the day, it's not a sustainable path. So as, as most dictators, the week go a certain way eventually. <laughs> so better to be empowering from the get-go. Don't they all end up dead? No, we yeah. all end up dead. Well, it's yeah. just they may end up dead along the way a little sooner. Yeah, a little bit, little bit sooner, a little bit rougher. Yeah, 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 yeah. not as gentle. Taking on that piece about Coach Reed again, and then talking about like him coming into your business and with him being in your business, you're the entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And then I want to, like I just asked you before we started recording, you said something about the entrepreneur. And I said, oh, tell me about the entrepreneur. What's that? And I knew what I, I knew what I thought it was, which was what you told me it was. But I wanted to make sure that I listened to what you said, not what I thought it might have been. And I would love to make some parallels around that because in all industries, there's the people who are going to actually lead the charge, write the checks, you know, make those final decisions. But nobody really does it alone. They're either doing it from a wider circle of people around them that they're getting their information from, or they're doing it from, you know, unknown sources like, say, on the internet or whatever. And then also, if they've got a team that works with them, then that team is helping them inform their decisions as they go. So the team's part of that. And for somebody to be an entrepreneur where they are part of a team, they're not the owner. However, they act with the owner's type of responsibility and sense in mind. You've just been through your Coach Reed thing at your own firm. Tell me about those kind of experiences and mm. how you see it empowering in yours and then in other businesses. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So at, at base level, entrepreneur, it's it's a popular thing right now to be an entrepreneur. We'll see as we move into a recession how popular it continues to be. But in a historic <laughs> bull market, at least in the in a US-based economy, it's it's the sexy thing. Everyone yep. wants to be an entrepreneur. All you got to do is pick up your phone, scroll through your feed, and you've got this entrepreneurial influencer and this entrepreneurial coaching course. It's just, it's everywhere. And I'm saying that as an entrepreneur, someone who owns my own business, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I was an, an employee. In fact, I would say I came from a background of intrapreneurial employee-based sort of company is a, right out of college, and then kind of pivoted into, into being a business owner. And, and I love that, but that's how I'm wired. I wouldn't have it any other way. Mm. So as I launched the podcast and I launched the brand Investing Inward, initially my thought was helping, I'm going to help early stage entrepreneurs level up in business and in mindset, how they run their business and how they think, maybe say that the other way, how they think and how they run their business. Cause ultimately the mindsets they create, the habits they have absolutely inform how they run their business. Cool. And that's not that I've deviated from that path. What I've come to see is there's a really underserved group of people and we almost unintentionally marginalize them. And that is the employees of our, our companies, our corporations, whether big, mm -hmm. small, doesn't matter. The team members, as you said, the team members. Mm -hmm. And there's this idea that, well, you're an entrepreneur and you, you got to be empowered. And, you know, I got to get the coaching because I'm the business owner and I got to get the training and read the books. And it's like, oh, well, you know, you're the manager, you're the team lead, you're this, just show up and do your job. And it's almost like, wait, there's something wrong with this. And as I went down the path, it's like the companies that are most unique, that, that have the biggest impact, whether it's in culture, whether it's in whatever it happens to be, it's philanthropy, charity. They have a culture of entrepreneurialism. In other words, the ideals, be your own CEO, take ownership, have, have the, the, responsibility and self-awareness to make changes without being told what to do. All those things that we think of, 
can and should be part of our teams, our employees. And rather than looking down on them saying, oh, you know, just kind of minions show up and do your work. Why are we not empowering them and elevating them to, to the same extent that entrepreneurs are? And as I'm looking around and literally just on Google, like resources for entrepreneurs, being an entrepreneur within a company, it's like, there's not much there. There's really not. And so mm. as the show has evolved and as my speaking and other things that I'm doing, even how I run my own business going full circle back to having coach read at the, at the, at the event virtually is this idea of we need to, as entrepreneurs, acknowledge that for every one entrepreneur, there's going to be many who are not. And thank God. There's a world <laughs> full of entrepreneurs which stuck. I don't want to, you know, like it, you can go to an entrepreneurial summit for like a couple of days. We all, you know, stroke each other's ego and this, that, and the other thing, and then go home. Having that every day would be insanity. So, and that's where this was really born out of and invested in was how do we invest within our companies? How do we invest within ourselves? How we think empower our teams to in, to have these same mindsets because not everyone's supposed to go out and hang a shingle and start a business. And that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that thing you just said, uh, in, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks, I've got a, a conference where there will be 600 entrepreneurs in the room, yeah. all that belong to one business school. And it will be like that thing, you know, everybody will be walking around. They're not selling their wares or anything at this. They are there. We're all there being taught. We're all there mm -hmm. learning. And yeah, we'll be, we'll be all in the same room, but everybody will be trying to show their best side of who they are and what they are. And yeah, that little piece about, you know, stroke each other's like backs and off you go. Oh yeah. Give them yep. a pat. Yeah. There you go, son. Run along. Great. You're great. We're all great. Yeah. We're all great. Yeah. Keep keep the energy up. Keep the energy yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a couple of things with that. Which one was you were saying about the team, and I love the team analogy rather than the entrepreneur analogy. Sorry, the entrepreneur, the employee analogy. Hmm. You know, if they're employees, I question whether their team members, if they're team members, I'm looking for which position they're playing and how that's empowering the company to go forward and not necessarily to grow. Not all companies want to grow. Some companies want to just keep a little bit of growth so that they stay where they are. I always think of a Patagonia and mm -hmm. the, 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 you know, Yvonne Sherrard and he said in one of his books, it might be let my people go surfing where the company got the big takeoff and it started to really grow and it became unstable because of that. And mm -hmm. they wound it back in to a really highly sustainable point of growth. And now they've been able to really give that company away to the planet um, mm -hmm. and, you know, make some amazing moves, but not without having the right team around them to do it. And exactly. each, each player does something in that team that they're responsible for it. And when you go, oh, you're an, an employee and you're an employee and you're an employee, the difference is, is if you say, well, you're a team member and you're a team member. If we were playing football, I don't know, anything where there's more than tennis with two, you know, doubles tennis, any any sport where there's more, where more than one or two people, more than two people, sorry, are on the pitch or the field or the court or mm -hmm. the, whatever it is, we have roles to play at that point and we back each other up in each role. You know, you look in your business, I always go, you're the, you're the guy at the front. So you probably run the whole catch and kill thing. You're, you're the one who catches the work. You're the one who nails it down and you make, make sure that it goes out the door again properly. Mm -hmm. There's a point in your business where you may leverage that out to somebody else. And that is when you need a team member not and and an entrepreneur, not an employee, based on the fact that that team member is doing it for the greater good of the company, and they're not just trying to work out all your systems to go and start their own system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And we we have one right now. The exact same thing. We're yeah. we're we're training her to the to the point where she could take over some of those roles mm -hmm. and and do so in a way that. It, displays extreme ownership and, and responsibility, not what I responded to the email. Yeah, it was two days late, but 
I did my job. Like that's I, yeah, not what we're yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry it was late. <laughs> yeah. Know, like, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that whole thing and and that shift of how that works, I think, is really interesting. And then I go back to Coach Reed's, you know, peril and power. And when I think of team versus employee, I go, there's power versus not necessarily peril, but just you fit in one box. And mm-hmm. it's, it's like, I don't know whether you've ever done this. I've certainly tried, but it didn't work very well for me. Treating your wife like an employee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never, that never ends well. <laughs> no. <laughs> I know. I remember, I remember saying to my wife one time about doing something and could she just do it? Like, could she just get that done for me? Mm-hmm. And that was the guy was made you boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was a big learning for me. That one, and we all got to learn. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, in the entrepreneur space, and I, I know that through, through the guys that I work in with Bruce Campbell's Entrepreneurial Business School, they have a really big thing where they say when you're, say, for instance, I would take one of my team and go, okay, let's put them through this. Same program, but it's not at the highest level of the program. It's mm-hmm. it, it can get there, but put them through. And my wife, her business is called, well, one of her businesses is called Leverage Me. And she employs people to give business owners freedom. So hmm. CEOs, general managers, you know, top the top kind of echelon of in the companies. And it's really interesting because all of those ones end up in some kind of coaching program when they're, when A, and through the employing process and then B, after that. And I, I go, how often do we end up with people that aren't, they don't have enough education or width of knowledge to be empowered. And then you've got to get them into the culture of it, just like a team. Yeah. You've got to. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's fascinating. But yeah, the position everybody plays a position. I think is really a part of it. And then in the entrepreneur space, every entrepreneur needs entrepreneurs. Hundred percent. Yeah, you can't have one without the other. Ultimately, it's an unsustainable. It's an unsustainable path. With if if you have a room full of entrepreneurs who have no desire for a variety of reasons, personality, wiring, whatever to go out and be that hunter gatherer to, to generate business, to be the face of the brand and all that, you won't have growth. That's if it. all you have is a room full of entrepreneurs and who focus on growth and the next new thing, I mean, you're going to have absolute and utter chaos because there's no follow through and your customer service experience is going to suck because there's, yeah. you know, you're on and okay, great. We close that on to the next thing. And this guy's like, well, I just, didn't what, I just what, do what something delivering? back here? Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> didn't I just pay you money for services? You know, you got my money. Where's my service? Yeah. So there's, you need both. And it, it's, it's a really stupid kind of a saying, but it, we don't use, try not to use the word staff, like all oh, my staff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was trained with this idea of staff is an infection, but team, oh, like yes, yeah, yes. But team, that's where, that's where the, all the real change in, in leverage ultimately comes from. Now for, I will highlight, and, and I know this personally, cause I'm just moving out of this, you know, bootstrap phase into growth phase here. Mm-hmm. It is difficult for solopreneurs, entrepreneurs to go from, doing everything Mm -hmm. to bringing on whether you want to say bringing on an employee or an entrepreneur, we'll leave that for another discussion, but ultimately start to build the team because you, you, you ultimately have time. (laughs) A lot of time is very little money. And Mm -hmm. then you start trading more time for more money. And then you realize, Oh, well, time is kind of finite. I haven't figured out a way to get more than 24 hours out of a day. So now I'll take some of the new money I earned to get some back, you know, back some yeah. of my time. And it's that trade-off, right? And and then ultimately then leverage, then you take the the additional money that you gain from from bringing a team who can then generate and be more of you to invest and go further. And that's all, that's kind of the long-term lifespan. But knowing when to start to step away is, it is a huge challenge. And then how to find someone who has a similar mindset, but wants to support you rather than just show up for a paycheck yeah, or, or dethrone you like three yes. years later. It's yes. just there with like, it shows up with targets on your back. I mean, that's yeah. another aspect. So it's not a, it's not an easy process, but mm. it takes a lot of intentionality and it, planning. And it starts from, it starts inside how yeah. you show up and then go from there. So, yeah. 
I think a lot of, I see this happen within groups of friends of mine, who I've got a lot of entrepreneurial friends and, you know, both my wife and I have separate businesses and we both have team members in those businesses. And I, I see this thing that happens often when people leverage themselves out of their day-to-day business. So it's almost like people who retire without a plan of what they're going to do mm-hmm. next. They sit there and suddenly their identity cru- falls. Like mm-hmm. they, their identity is crushed, well, not crushed, but lost because they've yeah. spent so much time, energy, effort. Their business has, bec- especially for entrepreneurs, their business has become just an, them, a part of them, probably the biggest part of them other than outside of maybe some sporting or artistic activities or something like that. And then all of a sudden they've got freedom of time and you'll find them, you know, back in the business doing some technical menial task. Are you spying on us? (laughs) (laughs) This has literally been the last 18 months. Like this, we had a retiring partner and, and it's this, this, What you're describing is in real time unfolding like to the T. 35 years in the business, one hobby, winter sports, nothing (laughs) else. Husband still has a business, still showing up, identity completely wrapped in the business because there was never anything other than that. There's no kids, no family. So, yes, that is a real thing. What you just described, I'm watching the destructive nature of it. Not that it's like imploding, but it's really kind of... It's unsettling, Sad. yeah. And, it's unsettling. And, and 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 not good for them. No, no, not good for the team, not good yeah. for the business. Yeah. And you look at them and you think, okay, so we want to retire. Maybe, maybe, maybe we want to retire one day. Question that. We can debate that. But if you do, you got to retire to something. You have to have an identity independent of your career yeah. and your day job or yeah. whatever you want to call it. Because you're going to just wander around like literally. A, a, big, a big identity crisis that you have to move through if you don't. Yes. I, people say to me, you know, well, when, when are you going to retire? I go, I probably won't. And there's a, a Australia's most famous architect is a guy called Glenn Merkitt. And so I, I was talking to Glenn, oh, maybe two years ago now. And I went and did a, a, a masterclass with him. And in doing this, so Glenn's like 83 or something, Hmm. and he takes one client a year. So he's got a, a, and he works totally on his own. He's a solopreneur. And yeah, and he, really interesting. I said to him, he was telling me about stories about his life and what he'd done with his life and how he'd really done some things wrong with his life because he'd been so focused on his architectural business not so much just the business but the the community of professionals and academics and all these different things that came with it and where he you know sort of not as regrets but some of his disappointments and where he could have done things differently and had this conversation I said to him so why have you never retired and he said to me I, I so love what I do. He's got a five-year waiting list at 83 or 84. <laughs> <laughs> so so he just loves what he does so much yeah. that it embodies who he is. And he goes, why would I, why would I stop doing something I love so much? Mm-hmm. He does a lot of teaching. You know, he shares a lot. And I think that's really fascinating. We started earlier on before we started recording. And, you know, we were talking about Warren Buffett and different styles of people was what we were talking about. And, yeah. you know, Warren Buffett and Charlie and just their different styles. However, neither of those guys, both of them could have given up work. I, I don't know. 30, 40, 50 years yeah. ago. Yeah. Like it is nothing to do with the money the money no. is that they'll, they'll give the money away that's not the issue the thing that they're doing is they're doing something they really enjoy and they believe they bring value and they solve problems for others with bringing that value and mm-hmm. I, you look at this and you go so why would we stop doing something that we love i often have a question for architects and it's what if you only had one last project what would you do and I'm pretty sure it was Tom Kundig, who's a well-known American architect, said, oh, I'd start a project I could never finish. 
<laughs> There's a man who's thinking. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because it keeps them, keeps people valid and it keeps them moving forward. It doesn't mean they shouldn't have, mm. that their life should be consumed with business. It's just what value have they got? My wife, again, she's the chair of a grants committee of a, of a foundation for our town. And just about everybody on there is somebody who would be maybe 70s plus, hmm. all retired, however, not retired. They're giving, they're giving all that knowledge to be able to help the foundation, help fund our town, solve problems in our town from a private point of view versus from a gate, st- state government or local government point of view. And they, you know, it allows all kinds of things to happen. But mm-hmm. she always says to me, oh, God, you wouldn't believe this guy or this guy or this woman where they've come from and what their background is. She goes, I'm blowing away the people who, who are in the room with me, which yeah, I think is really fabulous. And then that creates longevity and it creates procession. And that procession also shows the other side of it. When you are an employee and even if you're an entrepreneur, you're you're reliant on the business to keep moving forward. Even if a partner disappears, if a partner bows out, then you're you're still got that thing where you're reliant on it. So, how does that frame up for those people versus the entrepreneur who can go, well, I'll just keep doing this stuff? Well. So, and one note I'll just add on the previous topic there is it's to versus from, you know, you want, we, we give them a lot of uh, homage to coach Reed and, and you know, this idea of words to versus from, right. And if you retire to something, are you retiring from something? And I feel like, and I don't know, I, I don't think it's a uniquely American idea. I think it's just humanity. Like, for so often, if you view your role as merely an employee, I show up, I do a nine to five, I leave and thank God. And then, you know, Friday night's amazing. Saturday's great. Sunday's disappointing. And boom, we do it again. And then as soon as I turn 62 or 65, I'm what I'm away from it. I'm getting out of it. And it's all about living a life of where I'm not. And then you get to where you're going and you realize, okay, now what? Cause you've spent 50 years potentially running from something. I just have to get out of this. And now you've got nothing to run from because it's retirement, baby. I mean, like, what are you going to leave that? I mean, that's what happens when you die and you don't want to die yet. Right. So learning at an earlier age, at a younger age, and also fostering that baking that into our culture of, you know, you need to have a life outside of your business, outside of your company. You have to have an identity in and of yourself, intrinsic value, something that you can, yeah, it would, it would really be hard, like hurtful to walk away. It would be disappointing. But at the end of the day, you could do it and rebuild and start again because you have self-worth. Yes. And you've been intentional about that concept of self-worth, who you are, the value you deliver. And you could do so in your business or independent of your business. And for so many people, we've built this culture of I just of escapism. I just have to get out. It's all you have to mm. do. And then they get out. And then they realize they become a greater prisoner of their freedom because yeah. they have nothing there. There's nothing. They show up in the how you want to talk about they're expecting a house. They show yep. up and it's just it's just land. There's nothing there. Yeah. And then it's this whole disillusionment and 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 then what do people do? They go back to work. I I have clients and I know people who go back to work who don't need to. Mm-hmm. All they did was try to run away. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I guess I'll take a, you know, a part-time job at Lowe's or Home Depot or whatever, because you know. It's better than, uh, than sitting just sitting at home. Re, yeah, reruns of Hogan's Heroes or MASH or something. So anyways, <laughs> that's not to get off on that tangent, but that's really something. And, it, and obviously in my background, my line of work with clients, helping them retire sustainably one yes. way street. Nobody wants to retire twice. It's not fun. That transition is difficult. But if it's done right, if you have an identity in and of yourself, independent of what you did, and yeah. you've nurtured your relationships and friendships and family along the way, the the quality of life factor is exponentially higher and it's so much more sustainable. So anyways. I think that's fascinating. And like, as you say, that's what your business is, is helping yeah. people plan to get to that point when they can stop having to earn an income 
to be able to make choices differently and then live out their life to live their best life from there on. I, you, you said about the, the people, my dad is 95 mm. and yeah, and he's an artist and he's, he's like in his twilight years of his life, clearly he's still very healthy. He's still, you know, very valid. And what's really interesting is I often joke with, you know, my wife and friends and stuff, I say, oh, I need to find a 20-year-old friend. And they go, why? And I go, well, I'm going to live to longer than my dad. And so I need somebody who's 30 years younger or more than me now um, so that I can start hanging out with them so that when I get old, I've still got some friends that are younger than me. Because by the time you're 95, most people have died. They're all gone, yeah. They're all gone. So, and I look at my dad and he's got some friends who are say in their sixties and you think you suddenly go, that's 35 years younger or 30 years younger than him. If you were to now go for yourself, go back 30 years and go, I've got to find a friend now who's 30 years younger than me. So (laughs) I'll um, be your friend, Adrian. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. If you had to go today though, to find a friend that was 30 years younger than you, you start to go, well, hold on a second. And and even the relevance around their what, <laughs> what their life stage is and all these different things. And so I've I've watched this with my dad, and I'm like, it's a really fascinating thing. And as because he was an artist and he worked in commercial art, he took on students when he retired. And so he had a whole bunch of students, and they would be some of them would be older, but some of them would be younger. And I remember he was training, educating, I don't know what it, what you'd say, a an actress who was an Australian actress who was living in New Zealand and she was quite well known. And I remember him saying to me something about this woman and he said, oh, she's on some, you know, some TV show. And I said, which one? And anyway, he tells me, and I'm like, no way, that's who you're you're training. And he goes, yeah, yeah, she's lovely. She brings a friend along with her sometimes and da-da-da-da-da. And he's not, not impressed by the fact that she's on some TV show or anything like that. You know, there's no stars in his eyes about it. Yeah. Yet his friendship that he built with her was really interesting in the fact that she was very outgoing and valid and like full of life. And she would always be doing it around a shooting schedule or whatever she was doing. And he got the joy of that part of what she was doing in her life at the same time. So you know, I find it fascinating, this whole thing of the, the, the life after retirement. And I know I've got friends who say, you know, I'm drawing a line at then they're entrepreneurs. I'm drawing a line on this date. And from then on, that's it. Most of the time, it means they're going to sell their company. Yeah. And then they're going yeah. to go from there. Hmm. So I think it's funny. Well, interesting and, and smart. Like if you want to sell the, the big piece of the company, then it's whether one of the entrepreneurs can actually become one of the entrepreneurs, I suppose. Or yeah. A, a good friend of mine. Yeah, Ken Rusk, a guest on my show, a very successful business owner. He wrote a book, Blue Collar Cash. He and I have become quite close through through mutual friend Nick Hutchison, book thinkers, another great podcast. I could, anyway, so but Ken is is kind of in that place now where he still retains some level of ownership in his businesses. I don't know the details of it, but at yeah. the end of the day, you know, starting to to do well, he wrote a book and yeah. now he has a course, a tremendous course about life purpose and where you're headed and your goals and your career. And how are you thinking about all this? And how are you going to achieve, you know, what's this, how do you achieve comfort, peace and freedom? And so I'm looking at him and, and, and I really admire what he, what he accomplished and is accomplishing because he went from this, I mean, built a massive business along the way though. And I asked him this last time I was with him and he's like, you know what? I didn't do it at the expense of my family of my wife, of my you know children, it was along the way, I made sure I took moments, had experiences that I could hold forever and build and invest into those relationships so that when I do eventually exit, whatever that looks like, there's still people there. 
And and he did yeah, that wow. and he's proof of it. And he's still like friends with his adult kids. Right. And he still has a marriage. Like, I feel like it's almost like assumed if you're a successful business owner, yeah. you, you must get divorced, have a torrid affair. You must have at least one child hate you. Like it's this assumption, like, you know what I mean? Like there's this narrative mm-hmm. that goes around. It's like, no, you, it doesn't have to be that way. And being on the younger end of it, looking at, okay, there is, there is a positive outcome here. And it works. And now what he's doing with like, he wrote a book and he has a course and now he's, he's advocating for those things. And so I look yeah, at that and cool. think, okay, you go from like, to your point, exiting the business, whatever that sale is, the sale doesn't necessarily mean retired. It might just mean you have more time to then do continue to build on the work. And now you have validity. You have yes. a body of work. You have three decades, four decades, five decades to prove why someone should give a darn and actually listen to you. And whereas someone who's 18 or 15 or whatever, who sets themselves up as an influencer or whatever, there's just a a lack there. So anyways, you just can't, you can't get life experience without you can't, yeah, you can't buy it. You can't create it. It just comes with life experience. I'm going to look up that book, blue collar cash. Yeah. Yeah. And and the great guy. Yeah. Really interesting. So on your podcast just recently, you've had some musicians, and I want to make a, 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 a sort of a line between the creatives and musicians. Musicians never retire. <laughs> they, they, they don't, that, that's not part of what they do. And that isn't necessarily because of not money either. It's because the joy of making the music is mm-hmm. always within them. You know, I think of, I always think of Wayne Dyer saying, don't let your music die within you. And it's, you know, not just saying music, but I love that saying. Yeah. But based on the fact that music is one of those things that's very close to the soul. And yet it needs to be constructed. I think of this in the parallel with architecture. It needs a song or, or a piece of music needs to be constructed to take you on a journey. Mm-hmm. And in finance, just like you've been saying, you're going on a journey. And, you know, in life, we're going on these journeys and music is part of that. Make some parallels for me, if you can, to do with that kind of side of it. So you've just interviewed these guys. And if you look at that as a parallel, as a entrepreneur, entrepreneur, and in the planning side of it, give me some insights. Yeah. So it's, and it's really funny because in, in it's just the way I was working with the publicist and, and the cre- the musicians. And it just so happens that the release dates all hit back to back. So the last currently three, soon to be four episodes are all musicians. And this is not like a musician's podcast, but I've had JJ yet. Telgard. Yeah, <laughs> it might be. Hey, I freaking love musicians and music. So I played piano since I was five years old. So I have that already. That was my first job was teaching piano lessons. So I have that natural affinity to this, yeah. this area anyways. But JJ Telgard, a phenomenal guitarist out of mm-hmm. Denmark. Uh, Cliff Dorsey, great country singer, up and coming band. I mean, I, I, I swear he's going to be at the CMAs before too long. He'll, he'll be there. And Ryan Dusick, which was the founder. He was the founding drummer of Maroon 5 and everybody knows Maroon 5. And so the the unique thread amongst all three of them, one of the things that stood out to me was the evolution of their voice. And I seen it most acutely with Ryan because he's kind of on the other side of it, looking back and had a little bit more vantage point versus, you know, Cliff and JJ who are still in Mm -hmm. it. But or and if you <laughs> coach Reed, he's listening. <laughs> Thanks, if, coach. <laughs> if you look at the evolution of Maroon Five before Maroon Five, there was Kara's Flowers. Mm-hmm. Kara's Flowers was like a grungy post rock kind of feel. Has nothing sounds nothing like the crooning, smooth, slick Adam Levine of Maroon Five that we all mm-hmm. know and love today. There was an evolution. There was a finding of the voice, and there was an uh, there was a willingness and a lack of fear when it came to trying new things and evolving until you hit it, right? And so, JJ does this with his guitar playing. Cliff has done this with his singing, songwriting, and performing. Ryan did this as part of the band for many years, and it absolutely ties into an entrepreneur in mm. that you show up, you you hang the shingle day one. You start a podcast, right? You launch a brand. Don't paint yourself into this corner of, well, I better choose wisely because I'm going to be doing this for the next 50 years of my life. 
Probably not. I mean, Alex Hormozzi, who I absolutely love his content, talks about the chances of you and most entrepreneurs doing what they do, their their initial business being Uh the final Uh business or their only business. Uh Very slim. So it happens. Uh It absolutely happens. But it doesn't mean it's always the case. So just start. Perfectionism Mm -hmm. is the enemy of action. Start. You've got an idea. Throw it out there. Help someone and then get feedback and evolve. And and that's something I think musicians are, or at least many of them, the ones I've engaged with are really good at is, is evolving and, and, and letting the voice grow over time and also having a greater purpose beyond what they're doing. JJ, he gives guitars away. His first, he had his debut concert. And he gave like a thousand dollar guitar away. He does a lot of charity work. Ryan, yeah. you know, Maroon Five obviously does that. Cliff does with his band too. And there's a greater purpose beyond just entertainment. There's a mm-hmm. sense of oh, well, they're entertainers. Well, it, maybe. And there are purely entertainers who have no yeah. concern for humanity anybody else themselves. Yeah. And we all know and and yeah. either love or hate them. Yeah. It doesn't uh, mean we don't like their music. exactly exactly so anyways there's that too they're having a greater purpose beyond themselves and so seeing that and the the tie-ins between having business creating Mm. and music and creating music and the fact that music industry is a business and there's a lot of business that goes on with music so yeah yeah Yeah. i've i don't know whether you've listened to bruce springsteen and barack obama's podcast I have not heard that episode, really. Yeah, yeah okay. I'll check that out. They've got maybe three or five episodes. Okay. I will That's check a that really out. interesting thing because they're, they're talking about life and they've both got very interesting lives mm-hmm. and they, yeah, it's a fascinating conversation. There's actually a big book on it as well. My daughter bought me the book on it, which I thought was really fascinating. And cool. I think this whole thing of, you know, like, as you said, music's a business and it's not a business that you necessarily retire from. It's a business that you just, you may stop charging money or, or, you know, playing for money, but you probably never stop playing. And I think of design as a business like that as well. You never stop actually designing. You're always trying to design something. Financial planning is probably similar. You're always trying to grow the next point of it for somebody. Back again. This is wild. That's really weird. Okay, I will. I'll do a little clap on this one. That's really weird. It hasn't happened to me before like that, but doesn't mean it won't happen again. I'm sorry to be your first. I'm hooked up to the Ethernet here. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I got yeah speed test the last time, and it's got like 200. Megabytes, yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? It's the internet. It's not flawless. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are doing this in real time across the globe from, you know, Australia to your your upstate New York. And so when we're doing that, it isn't un, unreal that, you know, something could glitch. It's like, yeah. And we can see each other while we're doing it. You it's know, crazy. Often, it's, it is. It's crazy. It's a, it's a, it's something very special that we can do this. We take it very much for granted these days, but it is actually a yeah. very special thing that it can happen. I was, I can't even remember what I was talking about. Uh, I, I wanted to come back to your lovely saying there, perfectionism is the enemy of action. And I think that's just, I love it. I have one as well, which is similar, which is the enemy of the of the best is the good. And mm. I use that one a lot with my team. That's so stuff. good. Yeah, well, so is perfection is the enemy of action. I didn't, I didn't create it. That was a shout out to my good friend and actually very first podcast guest, Derek Kinney. He he kind of beat that. I shouldn't say beat that. Sounds negative, but he helped really enforce that that idea and and was really instrumental in helping me take action before. Because if I mean, my podcast isn't perfect now, but listen to episode two versus (laughs) forty, and I was like, oh boy. But hey, you know what? Would there have been a 40 if I didn't start? No, there wouldn't have. If I waited, it was perfect and everything was right. Yeah. And yeah. So, so I, you go and evolve. On that point, for people, for our listeners out there who are interested in starting their own podcast, you know, perfection is the enemy of action. Take that point and be really clear about it. Yeah. The other thing with it is, is 
and I don't know whether you did this, I recorded about half a dozen to a dozen episodes before I released anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of that was the first one, I was absolutely like, I can't believe the amount of tension I had around it. And I, I, I was prepared for it, everything else, and I did it, and it went fine. And actually still to this day, my first recording person, we still talk you know, every week or so we're, we're in touch. Really interesting that you've got to get a rhythm and you've mm-hmm. got to get confident in that rhythm and confident in how you talk to people and you, you, you find your way with it. Don't expect your first one to be your best one. It's, it's <laughs> unlikely. You're going to grow along the way. I remember oh, listening yeah. to Chase Jarvis talking about Chase Jarvis Live, I think it was, or when he first started his podcast, he said, I think I was drunk. On the first one, I took a couple of, I had a couple of drinks to, to just settle my nerves. And he said, you know, I, I, I think I'm, maybe those couple of drinks had more than a buzz than I thought I did. <laughs> well, have you, have you seen the early, you know, Joe Rogan's early shows? Yeah. And they, it looks like they filmed them at a frat house. They might have been in a frat house. I mean, the video was terrible. The quality was terrible. Like everything about it was cringe. And yet here he has like the largest pie. So he, even Joe had to start somewhere yeah. and, um, and absolutely, I did. I, my patch, my my worst nightmare was not having any guests, like people yeah. telling me no. So I did exactly that. As I recorded, like you said, batch recorded three or four, at least yeah. give me a running start. And then to my surprise, which I shouldn't have been, but you know, serving leaders, entrepreneurs are often very giving people. They mm-hmm. uh, they absolutely have an mm-hmm. others attitude. And so people were super generous with their time, you know, and I got to the point early on this year, I was running off a surplus of like almost a dozen episodes. I had to oh, stop. Like, I did, got- like people would be like, can I be on? I'm like, eh, not yet. Like, let me clear through some of these first. So, so yeah. I, I've got maybe 15, you know, podcasts sitting in the hopper. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it's, it's what happens. And, and I'll record, I'm recording today. I'm recording tomorrow as well. I don't need to record both days. It just means that when I go on holiday for, you know, a couple of weeks or something like that, I'm not doing any yeah, recording. Yeah, exactly. And I can also different people's time frames of when they want to do things or when they would like it to be dropped. Sometimes we'll pull one right forward. Other times we'll leave it, you know, sit for a while. Why did you call your podcast Think Live Repeat? Two reasons. So number one, I, I'm very analytical in the sense of I, I have to understand Something has to make sense before I implement it. Uh In other words, a lot of personal development space, it's just platitudes. It's kind of like I see through the BS. Don't, don't, don't even go there with me. So I have to get very granular if I'm going to execute something. And so what I really came to realize is a thought creates a, or an idea thought creates a, a mindset, a mindset ultimately will work its way out into an action An action creates a habit and a habit creates a destiny and it all goes, gets traced back to a thought and the thoughts that we allow in and, 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 and think on the mindsets. So think thinking intentionally living differently. So thinking, living kind of that rinse, wash, repeat idea of we, 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 we create a mindset, you invest in that mindset, you live through that. And then you know what, you're going to do it again tomorrow. Because it's not like a one and done kind of thing. This is life. This is a journey, like you said. And then as an aside, a second, one of my favorite movies is Live, Die, Repeat. I'm Uh blunt, Tom Cruise. And so that when I thought of that, I'm like, oh, wait, I think I could do a spin on this. And this is how I live my life. Or I I should say I endeavor to live my life. And so Think, Live, Repeat was born. And yeah, it's fun. It's 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 me. It's kind of how I think. Yeah, I love that. I love it. I, I think it's a really cool name. It's it's catchy. It's got three pieces to it. It's <laughs> it's it's fun. It doesn't matter which order you really try and remember it in. If you it, it works, it's really cool. Okay, so I'm going to shift to my one last question, which is going to have nothing to do with anything we've spoken about so far. Love it. <laughs> you may not. Let's see. <laughs> no, my last question is: I want to ask you something about your home. And because we have a lot of listeners who come from the architectural industry, the interior design industry, and then people who are fascinated by those creatives. My question is, in your home, what is your favorite space? 
Hmm. So I should add, my wife is a tremendous both decorator and plant enthusiast. So she is actively building out her own personal brand in the plant space. And so we lit- literally, no lie, have over hmm, 60 or 70 live plants within the house, just within the house. Some, you know, very big and multiple feet tall, some very small. <laughs> so there's lots of greenery. So I have come to enjoy, it's not my passion, but I do enjoy the vibe and the feel of that. So we have this one little corner in our house where I do keep freshwater tropical fish. I have a 180 gallon tank and a 90 gallon. So I love South American and central cichlids, Severum and Oscars and Jack Dempsey and various geophagus. I could go through the list. And anyways, there's uh, this place where basically Basically, two walls are covered in plants, hanging plants. We got some lights draped. It's got a nice kind of patio vibe feel. No, it stopped. No. And then <clears throat> 55. I'll do it. You were at, you were saying that you had the fish tanks and you had this patio piece and it had all the plants hanging over it, etc. So go from somewhere around there and we'll work out how to put it back together. <laughs> sure. I can, I can just, you want me just to start off real quick? So that Okay, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll ask the question again. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. That way. Okay. Yeah. I'll do two claps and we'll do that. So John, one last question, man. And it's got nothing to do with what we've talked about previously. This is, this is brand new. I want to know inside your home because, because of our audience, which has a lot to do with design, interior design and architectural design. I want to know, in your home, what is your favorite space? Mm. So it's actually going to be pretty easy to answer. We have, so my wife is an avid interior i know right avid interior decorator and she is a live plant enthusiast so we have over 60 or so plants in the house right now of various sizes shapes colors rarity and all that so she's done a great job creating a very livable space and one particular corner is essentially two walls covered in in plants and then there's a skylight there and so we got some hanging lights kind of like a patio vibe with the you know the the, the edison ball lights Yes, very much. Yes. And then I'm into tropical freshwater fish. I have a 180 gallon tank and a 90 gallon tank. So all kinds of South American and central cichlids I like to keep. And so sitting there kind of splitting the two rooms is one of the tanks you kind of see right through it, you know, line of sight. So you got the, you got the fish, the lights from the fish, you got the plants. I have a rocker there. You can sit, drink coffee, relax. It's, it's a nice little spot. I love that. I love that. And your wife's into biophilic design is what we call that. When you've got indoor planting, sure, that's what we're uh, calling yeah. it. Yes, it, it, <laughs> it, 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 it's something that it's an interesting background to it. It was got named in, I think, about 1986. And when they discovered that if you were to put lots of plants in your office place, if you were to put lots of plants in your school rooms, people's performance is enhanced. Hmm. So even if it's a fake plant, it's okay. Your mind sees it as a plant. If you really wow. want to make it enhance even beyond that, have a, the plants have a bit of movement. Huh. So the movement, like wind in them and stuff, takes your mind. You know, you can fool your mind. You can hack it. And so you can, if you don't want to have to have live plants, which I would recommend live plants first, but if you don't want to have live plants and you want to have just buy really good fake plants and then keep them dusted and the live ones, And then also, if it gets any movement in it, if any movement at all, it simulates nature. And so if there's a fan or something like that that can just move the leaves, it takes you cognitively to another space. And in that cognitive space, it increases output and enhances cognitive ability. So biophilic design is a really clever thing. Is your wife doing this and selling this skill of hers or is she... Just got it going on in your, in your, what do they call those things? Like conservatory. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Out. yeah. 
So I'm glad you asked. She is, so look her up on Instagram, Planty Mama One, P-L-A-N-T-Y Mama One, and the one and only, and the number one, not spelled out. And yeah, she's literally at the cusp of launching a brand and a service to probably happen sometime later this year. We have young kids. So, you know, there's a lot going on that that makes business challenging as you're parenting, but she's going to be doing some pretty great stuff here. It's cool to watch it evolve along the way. So yeah, stay tuned for that and there'll there'll be more to come i would love to talk to her about biophilic design so we'll set that up yes Um, she'd love that it would be really cool the other thing is is when you're in that space this is where i want to drop a bit deeper with it when you go to that space in your in your home and you said there's a there's a rocket there and you can sit there and have coffee and read or do whatever it is Mm -hmm. when you're in that space how does what does it do what if you had to put a, a an emotional word or an emotion that it evokes for you, what is the emotion? It would be a combination of, of, I would say, a peacefulness, maybe calm. Calm would be the right word. A sense of calm and a sense of belonging, that this is a spot that... No, I can't believe this. We've done it again. (laughs) Tell me about that space where you were saying you've got your rocker, you're under the plants, you've got your fish around you. What emotion, if Mm. you had to sum it up in one word, what's the emotion that it gives you to be in that space? Belonging. A Mm. sense of belonging, yeah. And, and, you know, certainly calm, tranquility, all that. But if I was to pick one, it would be a sense of belonging. It It feels like home. It's a space for me to be insulated from the stress of, of everything else and just kind of breathe deep. And it's, yeah. When you have that feeling of belonging and you go to that space, what does that empower you to do in your life? So a couple of, you know, I think of the things that I do in that area, sit there in the chair and think one, of course, is be very creative and idea creative content for my my your life podcast. <laughs> yeah for life really for business for life you know as a, as a person of faith i will pray and mm-hmm. and meditate in that sense mm-hmm. there too and i would probably say that's most you know and i, I try to do everything there because i kind of want it to be a special space as it were transition space right yeah i want to just like set up shop and work and do emails and this that and the other thing there there's you know other spots in the house for that but yeah I, one of the reasons I ask this is I like to work on an emotional floor plan hmm. when we're working with clients. And so unpacking these kind of areas of what makes home your home a place of transition, a place of tranquility, a place of reflection, all those pieces that your home has to be, finding out the areas and why things make it work for you is a part of the journey of when we design a custom home for people. And so we're looking into that side of it and finding out what, what piece of that journey. Now your wife's one will be completely different, but when I get to talk to her, I'll find that out. Yeah, I love <laughs> don't, it. Awesome. Don't warn her. <laughs> She'll want to be prepared. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no preparation. <laughs> <laughs> hey, John, we will post all your socials. We will do all those things. We will hook people up to, if they want to know more about any one particular piece of it, please write in to us. You can find us at Talk Design and you can find John's podcast. You can write to him as well. He will be more than happy to answer any of your questions. And also, if you've got things where you go, this is something that I think is a really valuable subject, please tell us that it's a really valuable subject because we would love to be able to dig in further for you as listeners and be able to give deeper from that point. John, thank you so much. Absolutely brilliant to chat to you today. Cheers, man. Hey, John, thank you so much for making the time and giving so much of yourself on the podcast today. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely brilliant. It's been been awesome. Thanks for having me. I love it. We'll stay in touch. Thanks so much. Fantastic, man. Take care. Have a great day. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. 
Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, let's say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch- chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.